everybody doing? Everybody hanging in there. Everybody's fine, right? Just like I said earlier. Everybody's fine on Sunday. Uh, not going to harp on that today. Don't worry about it. Uh, I might. I don't think so. That's not planned, but we'll see. So uh, we will continue today in our series called Call to Life, where we are investigating the, um, the book of First Peter. And so we will be finishing out chapter 3 today. We're not, we're not in a big hurry around here, but at least we're doing a couple verses. And we should come to the end of chapter 3, and that will leave us with two more chapters in First Peter. I've loved this book, um, and it is, was written to believers in the first century who were scattered into Asia Minor and who were suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it is Peter calling these people to live out this living hope that we have in Christ because of the resurrection. And it is not a, a dead old book, but instead it is a book that is so very relevant for today. And so we're going to continue studying in it. I hope that after the sermon today that we can better uh, understand a few things. One, I hope that we have a better understanding of the gospel. I hope that we have a better understanding of the purpose of suffering. And I hope that we have a better grasp on the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus as we walk through this life. That's my hope. And so we'll see what the Lord does. But before we jump into the text, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you for, for your mercy in, in giving us the, the word of God. I thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. It is what we were made to do, and I feel like I, I am most myself when I am worshiping the Lord. I thank you for making us in your image. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together today with brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage one another. I thank you that we do this thing called church where we sing to you and, and we study the word together and we shake, give each other a hug and shake each other's hand and eat a donut and drink some coffee. And you work in that process, Lord, and I thank you for that. Lord, I ask for your help today. This is a difficult passage. And I ask that you help us to understand what it is that you want us to learn. Please do this, Lord. As you're sitting there in your seats and you're thinking about your heart and your weakness and, and the fact that you're sitting in this chair, I, I just want you to ask the Lord to, to help you and to teach you exactly what he wants you to learn this morning. Ask him to help your mind and your heart be receptive to the teaching of the Spirit as we go through the word. And as we say here all the time, we want to be in the habit of praying for other people. So pray for someone next to you or in front of you or beside you, whether you know their name or not. Just pray for them. If you want to put your hand on them and pray for them, pray for them. And ask that the Lord would encourage them and teach them exactly what he wants them to learn today. Lord, we humbly commit this time to you. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And uh, let's read it, and then we'll go back. I'm laughing. You'll, just, you'll see why in a second. So here we go. So this is verse 18, 1 Peter 3. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, 
And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Make sense? Um, we, uh, we didn't actually, I was preaching today. We did the schedule of the preaching out, but didn't have the verses laid out because you never know where we're going to go one week to the, other, to the next. Sounds like we're not planning, but sometimes you plan to do a bunch and you do a little. So uh, it's good that, that the Lord had me doing this today because uh, Treb is sick this morning and he just got sick. And if he had just gave me time to work on this passage and he didn't call me at seven and be like, dude, I'm throwing up. I can't preach. So go for it. So it worked out really well. And as I was uh, studying through it this, this week, and I'm looking at several, a bunch of commentaries. One of them said that this passage contains some of the most difficult exegetical problems in the New Testament. So this is a guy who had literally 10 letters behind his name. And he writes this, and I'm like, well, that's great. All right, well, we've got that going for us. And exegetical, by the way, is, is the, the process of finding out what the text says and then figuring out what it means. The opposite of that would be eisegesis, means where you say what I think it means and you read it back into the text. That's a huge no-no when you read the Bible. But exegesis is reading what it says, what does the text say, and then what does it mean? Sometimes that's really easy. Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes it's not so clear. And so uh, we're going to hang on this axiom for Bible study, which is, in the Bible, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things, Okay. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a main thing. It's also a very plain thing, and it's reiterated over and over and over again in the New Testament. This, part of this passage, parts of this passage are clear. Parts of this passage bring a lot of questions up. So we're going to study it anyway because it is the living word of God, and it has something to teach us. He has something to teach us through it. But when you enter a passage where there's a lot of um, complications in the translation, you always do so with a bit of an attitude of, it's okay if I don't necessarily understand this. As I was reading, I'm reading from the 1984 New International Version. There are a bunch of versions in English. Your version probably read something very different from what I read. If you have footnotes in your Bible, there are probably a lot of them in this passage. And it will say, or this, or it could mean this, or it could mean that. So when Peter wrote this, this is one long Greek sentence, and it's uh, very complicated, and so they break it up into English, and anytime you're doing a translation, you've got to figure out what do the words mean and the context and all these things, and so a lot of these words can mean many different things, and so it gets complicated. Matter of fact, one of the words, just for the word for died in verse 18, where it says died or suffered, the uh, commentary, or the, excuse me, translation notes in the New English test, uh, Bible, New English translation said that the variants on this word are legion. So, all that to say, if you're sitting there shaking your head saying, why does this matter? It's because the Bible is really important. And it's not something that we just read through a passage and go, well, I don't get that. That's dumb. I'm reading on. Um, so we're going to dive into it, and we're going to try to figure out some of what it means. So, verse 18. Let's go back to verse 17 first, because he says, It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Treb has done this marvelous job the past two weeks of explaining a lot of how we're supposed to live as Christians in the context of suffering. And Peter is now going to look into a little bit of the, the why we can live the way that we live because of suffering. So he says it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. As an example of that, Christ did that exact thing. He died or suffered for sins, plural, not 
his sin clearly, not just one sin, but sins, all sins, once for all. The, uh, the emphasis here is on the finality of the, of the work, not necessarily on the extent of, his, of, uh, of the work, but on the finality of it. He died for sins or suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, or your Bible might say the just for the unjust. This idea of this, there is a substitutionary atonement. That's a theological term for this, that there was an exchange that took place on the cross. Jesus, as the righteous one, died for all of the other unrighteous people. And there was an exchange that happened on the cross. It's called the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Why did he do that? He did it to bring you to God. That was the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection, was to bring unrighteous people to God. There is probably not a more succinct explanation of the gospel in the whole New Testament. It's marvelous. We're going to move on, though, where it says... He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So that literally means put to death in flesh, made alive in spirit. And it's a wee bit hard. Your Bible may, have, may say that he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit with a capital S, or it may have a small s, and then it has a footnote that says, or capital S. Or it may say he was put to death in the fleshly realm, raised up in the spiritual realm. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's the hard part. If we knew what that meant, it makes the interpretation of the following text a lot easier. But since we're not entirely sure what it means, translators translate it differently. They're not trying to confuse us. Actually, translating, those guys are really, 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 really dedicated to the correct interpretation of the Bible. Like, they literally dedicate their lives to it. And it's very complicated sometimes. And this passage is one of those times. But Jesus, I think the point being, Jesus in his incarnate state died. So Jesus was... Fully man and fully God, the incarnation, right? But his humanity was perishable, meaning that it could die. He got, he could, he could, he got hungry. He got tired. He was able to die. He died on the cross, and then he was resurrected to what the Bible calls an imperishable body. So if you're interested in diving into that, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a whole chapter, very wonderful, explaining a lot of the, the, the result of the resurrection that he was made alive either by the Spirit, obviously through the power of the Holy Spirit, other passages in the New Testament allude to that, or he was made alive in the Spirit, meaning that he is now resurrected in a, in a new state of existence. He is in a resurrected body that can never fade, that can never die, and that can never pass away. You with me? It's a heavy morning, right? This is not like uh, Jesus loves you. Yes, he does. Uh, he does love you, but um, but we're we're gonna we're gonna walk through this. So, in verse nineteen, it says really. So you've got eighteen a, which is what we went over with Christ died for sins once for all, and then you've got eighteen b through kind of twenty verse a, where he's gonna go through uh, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was still built. What does that mean? So when you're studying the Bible, you want to ask questions of it, right? Who, what, when, where, why, so what? So in this passage right here, he was put to death in the body. It's clearly Christ. It says through whom or in whom or by whom or of whom also he went, who went, Christ went, we think, and he preached. What did he preach? He doesn't say. He uses a different word there for preach. It means to announce or to proclaim. When he says preach the gospel, like he's going to say in, in, uh, in a few verses down in 4.6, he says for this reason, 
The gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So what did he preach? Well, it doesn't say. To whom did he preach it to? Well, it says spirits. That word is typically used in the New Testament for uh, angelic beings, spiritual beings. It's used one other time to, uh, to talk about kind of the souls of humans. But that would be sort of incongruous with what's going on. So most people think he means that he preached to spirits, meaning fallen angels who are now in prison. What does that mean? Well, in 2 Peter, Peter talks about Noah more than any other New Testament writer. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, he says this, chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood to its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. So this idea that he did not spare angels who sinned against him, but they were cast out from his presence into whatever gloomy dungeons are, not a good place. Who were these spirits, and then when did he do it? It says, when, uh, who disobeyed long ago when God prayed him patient in the days of Noah. So this idea that God in, in Genesis proclaimed judgment on this wicked generation that was so wicked that the Bible says that they, all of the intentions of their heart were only evil all of the time. Like, I've got bad days, but it is not, I'm not in a place in my life where all of the intentions of my heart are only evil all of the time. I mean, that would be like maybe a toddler, but not me. And so it's a joke. I have four kids, and so it's... Uh, just a joke. I love children, of course. So anyway, but when did he do it? Was it during this time, from the time of judgment until the time when the ark was built? Did he go back? So you see these, why it gets... End up with, I think my mic, is it on? Back on? Okay. We end up, most folks end up in one of three categories for translating this passage, or for interpreting this passage, excuse me. We're going to go just with kind of more or less modern Protestant interpretations. We can run Catholic, you can go in ancient, you can see what all these guys said. But we're just going to kind of go generally with three interpretations to try to give us an idea of what it means. The first one is that um, between his, well the first one would be that Christ through Noah, through the Holy Spirit, preached righteousness to Noah's generation through Noah to those people who were being disobedient during that time. Does that make sense? So while Noah's building the ark, he's preaching to people righteousness. There is a God. You should follow him in righteousness. Judgment is coming. That's one interpretation. Another one is that Christ preached through in a spiritual gremlins in the machine today. I don't know. Anyway, one of the preachers is puking, the other one's mic doesn't.
do you have faith in Jesus? That's all he's going to do. Do I need to change the batteries, Mike? No? Hello. Very good. Better. Microphones are awesome. Mm, okay, here we go. Now I can't wave my other hand. We're over two. Okay. Um, I can yell. I've done that a lot, so, but it won't record. In it, only a few people ate and all were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. So, Peter's saying somehow the flood, what happened at the flood, and if you just picture a bunch of water comes out and it washes away the iniquity or the sin of the world and that eight people are saved from that judgment because they're in a big boat, okay? Peter's saying that symbolizes what baptism does. So there's kind of two interpretations of this also. It's either water baptism or he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like that uh, Titus talks about in chapter 3 and also other places in the New Testament. So... Which one is it? I'm not sure. What is Peter saying? Well, he's saying, listen, the flood teaches us something. It teaches us something about baptism. And it's not telling us that dunking you in the water is what saves you. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't say, he says, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. That word is either pledge, like I'm pledging a good conscience that God has given me, or it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. That word can mean both things in different contexts. But we're going to turn back to, whenever there's a question, you always try to interpret the Bible in light of the Bible. So we're going to turn back to Romans chapter 3. Generally, if you've got a question, Romans will answer it and then give you lots of other questions. So Romans 3 verse 21 is talking about that our righteousness comes through something, and it's not through baptism. So this is Romans 3 21, and he says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You see that parallel with what Peter was saying? He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So righteousness, salvation, comes through faith alone in Christ alone always. So what is Peter saying about baptism? Well, baptism is what it is meant to be is meant to be a symbol of an existing inner reality. So he is talking, though, to people who've been baptized. There was not a single person that Peter was talking to in these churches that was a believer who had not been baptized. That was not a thing. 
There were no unbaptized Christians in the early church. The whole concept of us today of saying, well, I haven't been baptized yet. I'm not sure if I want to. I don't really care if you want to. God says to get baptized. So what does is, what is he want you to do? He wants you to say to the world, I'm saved, and I'm going to show the world publicly that I'm saved internally. Okay? It is as important as doing the Lord's Supper and to know that you're to be baptized and choose not to is to walk in disobedience to the Lord. There, I said it. Okay. But he says the appeal or the pledge of a good conscience toward God. And then it says it, baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the causal or the agent of power in our salvation? It is not baptism, but it is the power of the resurrected Lord who saves us. Okay. Everybody thoroughly confused? Not I have two mics and one of them works most of the time. So let's look at the last section there, verse 22. It says, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This idea that Jesus has gotten victory for us. You see that Jesus died. He suffered four sins, but he did not stay there. And that he ascended into heaven. He's gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand. And that angels, authorities, and powers, both spiritual and uh, physical, they're all in submission to Jesus. All of them. That you had a group of people that Peter is writing to, and they are being abused. They are suffering at the hands of evil people because of their faith in Jesus. They're not suffering because they didn't, like, pay their taxes. They're not suffering because they're living in sin. They're suffering because they're living in righteousness. And that he is saying, listen, to do the will of God and to suffer will lead you somewhere. And it will lead you where? To Jesus. And Jesus sits in victory over the very things that are causing your suffering. All right, so what do we do with a passage like this, right? Um, I think first is sort of a side application. It's okay to read a passage in the Bible and not understand it. It really is. It's okay to say, this says something I don't really understand, and it gives me a whole lot of questions. That's okay. Just keep reading, okay? If you get stumped on a part, just keep reading. Keep reading. I think I told it to the people who are doing the, the Bible reading plan that um, a mentor once told me, I had a question in Romans, of course, and I'm like, well, I don't know what it means. And he said, well, just keep reading. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, keep reading in Romans. Maybe you'll get your question answered. Said, okay. So I read Romans, and I came back to him, and I said, hey, I still have a question. He said, well, just keep reading. Well, what do you mean? He goes, well, what's the next book after Romans? I'm like, 1 Corinthians. He goes, well, read it. Like, okay. So I read through the New Testament, and I come back, and I like, still have my questions. And he's like, well, keep reading. I'm like, what? What do you mean? And he goes, well, go back to Genesis and read. So I go back to Genesis, and I read all the way back up through Romans again. I came back, and I said, hey, Dave, I've still got my questions. And he was like, yeah, I do too. Keep reading. And I'm still reading. And I still don't have my question answered. Because the point of reading the Bible is not to have your questions answered. And you do not get to get angry holding up some kind of in, invented right that God has to answer all your questions. No, he doesn't. And the Bible was not written so that you can have all your questions answered. Nor was it written so that you can understand everything. It was written so that you can know God and love him. That's why it was written. It was written so you can know what his commandments are and so that you can obey them. That's what it was written. So if you read the Bible and all you do is have questions and you don't obey what's in there, you're doing it wrong. So do it right. I don't know that we're doing it right here. I don't know that we've interpreted it. I don't think we have. I don't even know what exactly 
is the correct interpretation. But I know verse 18 and I know verse 22 are main things. Do you hear me? I'm not entirely sure how Jesus went down and what, that ha- what happened. But I know for certain that I can learn something from that passage. I can learn that God is patient. He is patient with evil people. God waited patiently in the days of Noah. I can learn that God is not limited by space or time or place. Jesus, he either went back in time and he preached to people who were there or he went to the spiritual places or he went and he, and he, and he went up to the evil spirits who had betrayed him and have caused destruction upon earth and said, hey, what? guess what, boys? I won. He did something. It means he is not limited by anything that could possibly limit us. I can learn from this middle passage that God is a God who saves. He saved Noah and his family, and he saves everyone who calls on the name of the Lord today. And I can learn that there is an actual, real, spiritual realm that has dominion here, There is a spiritual world in which things can happen that affect the world in which I'm in. And I am a part of that world. And you are too. And if we deny the spiritual world, all it's going to do is get us in trouble. Because there is a real spiritual battle that Jesus won. And he won it to bring us to God. We can learn all that from a weird passage that I don't understand. So keep reading. One thing we need to do, though, for certain in verse 18, is we need to understand the gospel. For Christ suffered or died, he did both, for sins, once for all. That means he is never doing it again. There's nothing that I can do or that you or any other person can do to pay for our sins against a righteous God. But he, Christ, the righteous for the unrighteous. There was an exchange that happened on the cross, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And he did it to bring us to God. That was the purpose That is the gospel. You understand that? We must understand that. Why do I have to understand it? Because I have to be able to explain it to someone who doesn't get it. Why do I need to understand it? Because it needs to be constantly on my lips. I need to be thinking about my neighbor. I be thinking about my family member. I be thinking about them and saying, Lord, how does the gospel apply to this person? Because this is the gospel. The gospel is much more than that, but it is never less than that. That Jesus died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. We must have that constantly in our heart, constantly on our lips, looking to our neighbor and thinking, do they know? Do they understand? I know. I understand. How do I get them to understand? I want that to be a fire that burns in your heart every moment of your life. It doesn't burn in mine every day. I wish it did, but I get so scared. I mean, really? I get so scared to walk up to somebody and be like, hey, I'm a Christian. What's that mean to you? What are they going to do? Like, shoot me? They might. I doubt it. But they're probably going to, maybe they'll say, maybe 30 seconds later we'll be hugging each other and praising the Lord, you know? Maybe I'll get in a super weird conversation and yell at somebody at Walmart. Maybe, I don't know. It happens. But I shouldn't be afraid. And I shouldn't be afraid because I have a Lord who won this victory for me. But we must understand the gospel. If you're listening to my voice today, and you have never understood that, and you never understood that Christ died for you once for all, that you were unrighteous, and that he is righteous, and he did that to bring you to God, then you are not a Christian. 
And you need to confess your sin before the Lord and cry out to him to save you and be saved. So we must understand the gospel. We must understand that suffering for Christ brings victory. And I'm going to go back to Romans because that's uh, Romans. I mean, I think all roads go to Romans probably at some point. I mean, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, that suffering in God's economy always brings victory. So Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified means declared righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Why? Not only so, but we also rejoice in what? In our sufferings, because you know that sufferings produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Suffering in God's economy does something. What does Paul say that it does? It produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope for the believer does not disappoint. Why? Because it is God's hope and because it is poured out to us in his love. That in God's economy, that suffering always has a purpose. Do you hear that? Are you suffering today? That suffering has a purpose. Now, if you're suffering for doing good, that has a good purpose. If you're suffering because you are stupid, that also serves a purpose. It, it is that your heavenly father's discipline of you. Like if you cut off your own foot because you're mad, you're going to walk with a limp. And that's your fault. If you're sinning, that's on you. Stop sinning and live toward righteousness. But as you sin, as we ignore the Lord, as we read his word and are like, oh, I want to do that, he disciplines us. Why? He demonstrates that he loves us when he disciplines us. You parents out there, or if you were a child, you're Parents demonstrate their love for you by discipline. How awful to be a child whose parents never discipline them. Those children are terrified. They don't know what to do. So whether or not you are suffering because of your own sin, or whether or not you're suffering because you're walking in obedience to God, those things serve a purpose. Do you hear me? It is not being wasted. Now, I'm not telling you, obviously, to keep sinning. So that God can, don't do that. Once again, Romans says don't do that. But if you're suffering in life, know that God is not wasting it. Finally, I want to end with what's in verse 22. That Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. With angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That Jesus is Lord. And I don't mean that like it's on a bumper sticker, okay? I don't mean it because it's like, oh, well, Jesus is Lord of, no. I mean he's Lord, meaning everything that can be under his authority is under it. Do you hear me? There is nothing that is not under the authority of the risen Jesus. And it reminded me of a psalm, which is Psalm 29. Psalm 29 is one of those God is big psalms. I just love it. 
So, okay, get ready. I love this song. So, Psalm 29. This is a psalm of David, because there are many of them. But it says this. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. When you think you are small and you need God to be big, I want you to read Psalm 29, okay? When your life is off the rails, I want you to read Psalm 29. We're going to tell you why. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. I want you to imagine like um, one of the sequoias in Sequoia National Forest just exploding into a billion pieces. He makes Lebanon a country, skip like a calf, Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. That's the Lord we serve. It's not some kind of wussy God who sits around and wonders and twiddles his thumbs. It's the God that when he speaks, stuff blows up. It's the God that when he speaks, countries run away like a baby cow. This is the Lord. Look at verse 10. Remember we talked about the flood? The Lord sits enthroned over the flood in the moment of the greatest calamity in human history, who was in control? God. And he still is. Jesus is on the throne. You understand me? And the earth is his footstool. He is Lord. And he sits enthroned as king forever. No one will knock him off. No one will take his place. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Why is that important? Because we need a God who is bigger than our suffering. You understand me? I need a God who is bigger than my pain. When suffering hits, it's like everything gets focused in right here, and God is sitting there saying, focus on me. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying, look at the salvation that you have. Jesus died for you. And he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and everything is under his authority. And we are now waiting for him to return and exercise the fullness of that authority on planet Earth. In that time, we live by faith. By faith that what he did is real. By faith that what he's doing is real. By faith that what he will do is real. And by faith in the character of who he is. This is the gospel. We must understand the gospel. must understand what Jesus has done. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to understand those two things. I want you to, if you've never memorized that half, it's half of a verse, half of a verse in 1 Peter 3.18. If you've never memorized that verse, I challenge you to memorize it this week. You can memorize it before you walk out the door because y'all are super smarter than I am. It takes me forever to memorize a Bible verse. But you can do it. Write it on a card. Memorize that. For Christ suffered for sins once for all just for the unjust, to bring us to God. And I want you to remember that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over your suffering. He's Lord over mine. And the reason, and this is going to come in really handy, 
is because chapter 4 starts with this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Peter is going to call us to do something. He's going to call us to look at sin in a very different way because of Christ's suffering. And we're going to have to be armed with an understanding of what came in the verses before it. So stay tuned next week because it's going to be amazing as we walk into chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Well, we worked through some technical difficulties. Like I say, one of our preachers is sick. The other one's mic doesn't work and doesn't really know necessarily what the passage even says. But guess what? Jesus is Lord. Uh, I'm not, and you're not either. And so it makes it work out pretty well because I don't have to worry about how awesome I am. I just have to trust that the Lord is who he says he is, and it makes it great. So I want to encourage you this week. I, I literally have no idea what's going on with every one of you. I don't. I wish I did. I wish I did. I know what's going on with some of you. Some of you I don't. But I know that every person here on some level is either suffering right now or knows someone who is suffering and loves someone who is suffering. Bring those things into that suffering this week. An understanding of the gospel and the lordship of Jesus. Let's pray.